When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey folks, it's trade season. Um, this is our, I don't know how many Twitter spaces we're going to do this week. kind of depends on what uh, the Yankees end up doing at the deadline. Uh, but today's been a busy day, obviously, for the New York Yankees with a couple of different trades, uh, including uh, the, the big one, probably the big one that we're going to see uh, this this deadline with the Yankees acquiring Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino from the Oakland Athletics in one of those just really strange deals that um, Billy Bean tends to do where I can't quite figure out what uh, what he values in prospects. And uh, I'm, I'm less convinced than some that Billy Bean is some genius uh, president of baseball ops. Uh, but we'll get into that and a bunch of other things, uh, including the the trade for uh, FROS, which I think is a really interesting piece as well. Uh, my name is Joshua Demert. I'm a staff writer at Pinstripe Alley, and I'm joined uh, making his uh, Twitter Spaces debut, our, our newest writer, uh, Jeff Middleton. Hi, Jeff. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. And of course, uh, sort of our standby, uh, Peter Brody. Hi, Peter. Hi, Peter. What's up, guys? Sorry right. about that. Yes, I'm very technologically challenged, how is, but I'm excited to be doing how this. How is Long Beach, or wherever it is that you are? Uh, Grass Valley. It is incredible. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time in the pool, um, and that's really all you all that basically tells the whole story. Um. So, uh, oh my God, the raised DFA Brett Phillips. Wow. So this is the problem with doing these things sort of live and on the fly. Uh, I, I never really liked Brett Phillips, but he's kind of a fun guy to watch. Um. Okay. So. speak up when he chooses to speak up um taylor we're gonna get into some stuff uh on this trade but i know you sort of put your hand up to speak as soon as the space started what's going on oy vey you people in your mutes okay so um let's start with the big deal frankie montas lou trevino um good news for luis severino who about a month ago said that when the yankees traded for jose trevino uh, he thought that they were getting Lou Trevino. Well, now we have both. We have Trevino with an E who's behind the plate and Trevino with an I who's going to be presumably throwing to him for a little bit of the season. Um, Jeff, Peter, Jake. Uh, Jeff, we start with you. Um, Frankie Montas, I don't want to say he feels like the backup option to, to Luis Castillo, but certainly not doesn't quite have the upside of Castillo. But what does he kind of bring uh, to this rotation? Well, I mean... It's it's pretty obvious that 
it it lightens i think the most important part of this deal is that it lightens the load on the rest of the rotation come playoff time it's like no he's not luis castillo he's not going to be and he doesn't have that kind of number one upside but he's he's good enough to be you know to eat innings he's good enough to go through a lineup and you know make life on the bullpen a little easier while also providing you know Nestor Cortez and uh Montgomery and Tyone those guys they don't have to feel like they need to be that number 2 they can be middle late rotation guys that you know they don't they don't have to be the the expectations are lower is probably the best way to put it um Jake are you there Yes, yes, I, I was having connection issues, but we're good now. No worries. Um, so, Jake, uh, Garrett Cole is, I mean, he has kind of had a weird season, but he is the, the ace of this rotation. He would start a game one in the ALDS, and certainly if there was, you know, a situation where the Yankees needed a guy to go on short rest, he would be that guy. I think we all agree on that. After that, to, to Jeff's point about this being a, a move with October in mind, after Garrett Cole, you know, hypothetically starts game one against the Mariners or the Blue Jays or whoever it is, um, is Montas the game two starter or, or does he sort of fit in behind Cortez in the depth chart? I think that's a hard question, but honestly, I think what the Montas deal does is now the Yankees just have loads of different options to attack games two through four. And I'm not even necessarily even all interested in, you know, lining up exactly how I would rank, okay, Cortez here, Monty here, Montas here. I think what it does is now the Yankees are going to have a million different ways to attack games two through four behind Cole. They could have Cortez go two, Montez go three. They could have, if Mon- if we, we'll see what happens with Seve, but if he's in the bullpen, maybe they could have a Montgomery, Seve piggyback game somewhere in there. They could have a Cortez, Seve piggyback game in there. What I think it does is it gives them one more option, and now they just have a lot of different ways they can attack games two through four. Because, as you said, Cole is the only thing that's set in stone. And I think we're just going to have to play out the, the rest of the second half and just sort of see where they are come that first week of October, and they'll just have a lot of different ways they can attack it. Peter, let's talk stuff. Um, so Montas, he has a he has a really good forcing fastball. That's sort of his primary offering. He does nominally throw five pitches. Uh, four seam, splitter, sinker, slider, and cutter. Although the cutter is, you know, it's not quite a show me pitch, but it's almost a show me pitch. Um, what uh, what impresses you in his repertoire, and what uh, what needs work? Because he isn't as he isn't as sort of surefire a thing as some of the other options. Right. No. Uh, I think you said it first and foremost is his fastball is his bread and butter. Um, among starters with at least 100 innings pitched this year, it's the sixth fat, fastest average fastball velocity at 996.2 miles an hour. So he instantly gives you another one of those like low effort, high velocity arms. And actually, before I, I just kind of want to touch on some of the stuff that Jeff and Jake talked about. Um, Jake brings up an interesting point that like we don't that the Yankees don't necessarily need to feel like they have to already decide who your two games two through four starters are after Cole. But when the trade was made, like my knee jerk reaction was like, boom, there is your game two starter. Like that's how I view Montas. And heading into this season, I actually I actually viewed Montas and Castillo as extremely similar pitchers. Um 
And I think Castillo has demonstrated a higher ceiling this year for sure. But um, returning to the stuff, uh, so it's clear that Montas's primary put-away pitch is a split finger, which is really intriguing, I think, for the Yankees staff that severely lacks a splitter outside of one that's like used very sporadically by, um, by Chapman. Um, and I think, I think that can be such a valuable weapon in a series where you have three guys attacking you with fastball slider. You know, you have Cole, you have Tyone, you have uh, Cortez and actually even Severino to an extent who are basically all, they're just going to like pour in their fastballs unless you're Cortez and he uses the cutter, and then they're going to try and put you away with the slider. I think having that that alternate put-away pitch that has a completely different movement profile, completely different look out of the hand uh, in Montas' splitter, I think can be a really valuable weapon for them. And then uh, as for the slider and cutter, they're not anything special. I think um, Montas throws a similar slider to the gyro spin slider that Cole throws, and I mm. would wonder if he's the if he's someone who would be amenable to maybe adapting the whirly slider that we've seen a lot of Yankees pitchers throw. Um, it's one thing. I mean, obviously we can't we can't just be like, oh, he's on the Yankees. Ergo, he's going to learn the pitch. It's not as easy as that. But I would be interested to see if that's something that he and Matt Blake work on in the coming months. Yeah, to the point with the slider, I, I think it's interesting. But sort of my first take. Um when the Yankees got Montas was he seems like a candidate to adopt the sort of this Nestor Cortez profile of like your cutter and your slider are different pitches, but they really sort of exist on a continuum. Like when you watch Nestor pitch, the difference between his cutter and his slider, depending on count um, and, and handedness, it, it's often the, the usage is very similar, even if the movement profile is not. And I thought maybe that's something they want to do with Montas. Now that I look at it a little bit closer, I, I think that actually the slider is maybe a little bit better than you're giving credit for, Peter. Uh, so he gets a 39% whiff rate on the slider with a 269 X Woba against. That's the best whiff rate of any of his pitches, and it's the second best X Woba against of any of his pitches after this after the splitter. So I actually think that um, yes, I, I think that he's absolutely going to rely on his fastball. I think this is the Yankees have shown they really value is having. Uh, starters with velo uh, and certainly over the last 40 years of pitching nothing has correlated more with getting outs than than fastball velo um, but I actually think that you'll probably see the slider use more uh, and and sort of more aggressively than maybe the first time I thought of it I think that the sinker is probably the pitch that goes away I don't see a lot of it doesn't jump off the board in pretty much anything. It doesn't move sort of, it doesn't uh, sort of spin slow enough or, or move enough vertically for it to really be a very effective pitch. Um, but I mean, I, I think that if, if I were to project out, it seems like he's going to be a four seam splitter slider guy uh, as, as the primary offering. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I agree, like ditch the sinker. It's not, you know, it's not a really good pitch and really focus on what, you do well. And so I was just like looking at the strikeout totals. Like he has 44 strikeouts with the splitter and only 12 with the slider. Granted, he's thrown the slider a little bit less, but it's still a lower strikeout percentage. Um, so I think that there is something to be unlocked there, as you said, because as like you pointed to a 39% whiff rate on the slider is 
impressive. And for to only have 12 strikeouts on the season with that high of a whiff rate suggests to me that there's even more to be unlocked there. Um, Jake, we might as well talk about the bullpen now. Um, so this was an issue that the Yankees have had for a few weeks. Um, Clay Holmes, as much as we all know how good Clay Holmes can be, he was not going to run a .30 ERA all year. He's had, I believe, three blown saves in his last nine or ten chances. Um, Aroldis Chapman has looked better, but I don't know how much you trust him. Obviously, Michael King is gone for the season. Um, tell us about Lou Trevino and, and uh, Efros and sort of what their roles are going to be on this team. Well, Efros, I think it, we all got acquainted with some of the, the pitching ninja gifts from earlier today. He, he profiles a guy that could be an impact dude right from the start. Um, Trevino is the guy that they got in this deal, and he seems a little bit more of a reclamation project. You mentioned, or you will mention in your piece covering uh, the move, that he uh, has given up something like a 22% home run per fly ball rate. So that's something that's probably going to regress. His XFIP is below three to the extent that you you believe in XFIP. Um, but he's a dude that has had a lot I of I believe success. in XFIP when I have to write about it. You believe in XFIP when they when uh, Brian Cashin trades for a dude with a sub-3 XFIP and a 6.4 ERA. Um but he throws 96. He has a slider that he probably should use a little bit more. Um, he just sort of seems like the kind of dart throw that you give to Matt Blake and just sort of see, hey, figure this out, see what you can do with him. If he can't do anything with him, no no skin off our back. But if he turns into a dude that's throwing 96 with a good slider and striking out, you know, 35% of batters he faces, he wouldn't be, wouldn't be stunned. Um, I think, again, it just comes back to just this is a team that's great and it's just giving itself options for down the stretch. And we don't know exactly which ones are going to be the ones that work their way into the circle of trust. But I think just we can at this point default to the fact that the Yankees know what guys to pick and or in terms of you know scouting other major league teams, which te- guys to pick off of other rosters. And at this point, it's hard to bet against them getting the most out of the guys they bring in. Jeff, um, with Scott Efros, who has been this season very much so uh 28% strikeout rate 2.66 ERA 2.19 FIP um one thing he hasn't done is he hasn't worked multiple innings um i think that we kind of see Efros as as one of the real high leverage arms in this bullpen um but we still don't have that sort of michael king ability to go four to six outs um do you think that was uh, a part of the the idea for getting two relievers or sort of where do those innings come from? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think at the end of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to have a guy that you think could go multiple innings. And, you know, Michael King is one of the best relievers in all of baseball. So replacing him is always going to be a challenge, but I think, you know, given what the Yankees have in their pitching, in their pitching staff and kind of, who he'll be working with. I'm not I'm not too concerned right now that he can't go multiple innings. I think I mean we've all seen his stuff. I think watching his I mean the the videos were plentiful today surrounding Twitter about his slider and you know he's striking out guys like you said. He's I mean he's he's I think he's talented enough to do it. It's just a matter of kind of I think instead of kind of throwing in throwing him into multiple innings like you could a Michael King, you kind of have to gradually work him up. Um, yeah, I, I could see I could see that being something that the Yankees work with him on, especially as the postseason comes, you know, closer and closer every day. 
Peter, um, I'm a little sad that you and I haven't had the chance to have this conversation yet, given how much we've talked about it over the past sort of two years or so. Um, so full disclosure, Peter's on vacation. Uh, Pride was yesterday, so I've been I'm running on about two and a half hours of sleep. So Peter and I haven't had a chance to really talk about this. But uh, one of the things that Peter and I have talked a lot about is sort of different looks in the bullpen. And one of the things that the Tampa Bay Rays uh, have really valued in the past is like, Every single reliever, even if they're all throwing 98 with a slider, all come out of a different arm slot or with a different delivery or, or something about them is all different. And uh, Peter, I'm not sure if you saw the Mike Petrello uh, graph that he tweeted out that shows that Scott Efros has the, I don't know, the fifth or sixth lowest release point in baseball and just how different that is when you compare it to someone like Clay Holmes, who's relatively over the top, a role this Chapman, who's sort of that classic three quarters delivery. Um, talk about that a little bit and how important a look that is for this bullpen. Yeah. Uh, and not only this, the sixth lowest, but also like the second widest uh, mm. of the, of the, it's like what five, almost five feet from home plate. Horizontal, yeah, I don't. Is, I don't know how a right-hander picks up the ball. Exactly, it's like the ball is starting at his butt before yeah. and heading towards the plate. So yeah, um, I I've been looking for that for the article about like you know the different arms of the clock with the with the Rays relievers, and I couldn't bring it up. But I mean, it's so. I do think that it's so important to <clears throat> very. You know, we we talk about we talk about spin. We talk about. Um, velocity, we talk about movement, but there, there's an entire other side to pitching, which is deception. And throwing out a look that hitters aren't used to seeing 99% in 99% of their at-bats, um, I think it can breed a sort of complacency when you're used to seeing out of a high three-quarter arm slot, and then all of a sudden this dude is throwing literally horizontal from behind your back um, it's got to be an absolute nightmare to pick up the ball out of his hand. And it's moving in a way, the ball is moving in a way that even, like this is where we kind of get into like vertical and horizontal approach angle, which Esteban is much more of an expert on than I am. But Esteban can stop going to Yankee games and maybe we'll have him on the space. I know. I, this I, I, this would have been a perfect <laughs> time to have him on. But, but the... the angle with which the ball is entering, especially when it, with a slider, the angle with which the ball is entering the strike zone is so radically different from a slider that even has similar horizontal movement components from a, a, a different pitcher who's throwing out of a, a different arm slot that it's, you know, it's, again, it's just another added dimension um, of, of deception that almost lets the stuff play up. Um, yeah, and, and again, to these points about like having different looks, um, I know Jeff was talking about what do you want to do with Luis Severino? I, I tend to think that Sevi is probably ticketed for the bullpen now. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could definitely see something that I would really like to see. Again, a hypothetical uh, game four of the ALDS where the Yankees are up 2-1. You know, I think it'd be a lot of fun when you have sort of, you don't have a game to lose because you don't want to think about that in the postseason. But when you're up by a game anyway... Jordan Montgomery throws four innings. Luis Severino throws two. And then you go Chapman, Efros, Holmes. Those are, that's five pitchers with wildly different stuff and wildly different deliveries. Um, to, to me, like, 
again, to Peter's point about, we talk about spin rate, we talk about whiff rate and, and things like that. Like to me, that's the real fun part of pitching is how many different looks can you force a batter, you know, in the, the three or four times that a batter comes to the plate in a game, if they're seeing wildly different deliveries on wildly different stuff all four times, you know, the whole point of pitching is to make hitters uncomfortable. Um, that does it just as much, in my opinion, as, as you know, a 98 fastball inside. Um, so I'm really looking forward to see what they do with this. One thing that I do want to get out ahead of, because I'm, I'm certain that the Yes Network is going to talk about it, and it's going to drive me crazy. Um, there is this, there was some percolations, uh, some hypotheses that uh, Scott, Mo- uh, Scott F. Ross has uh, reverse splits um, because lefties actually are hitting worse off of him than, than righties are. Um, this is uh, splits exist for a reason. <laughs> um, over thousands and thousands and thousands of plate appearances, we have figured out that right-handed batters hit uh, right-handed pitching worse and lefties hit right-handed pitching better. Um, uh, Scott has thrown 15 innings against left-handed batters. Uh, he's only seen 60 of them. It is the definition of a small sample size. Um, look, I know that everybody listening is really smart and really well-read and probably reads all of our stuff and it's great coverage, but I know that Michael K is going to bring it up. So I just think we need to, to get out ahead of it. Um, Jake, I know we only had you for eight minutes. So the next question is to you, you know, there are no free lunches. None of these trades happen without giving something up. Um, talk to us first about, uh, what the Yankees gave up for Scott Efros, uh, Hayden, when, when, when Ben's W Hayden W was Nesky, whatever. He's a cub now. I don't care. Very, very well said. Uh, Wesneski was what, I think a fourth, a sixth round pick in 2019. Um, he's just another one of these right-handed dudes that the Yankees seem to pluck out of virtually every amateur draft every single year. And you never heard of the name, their name before, but three years pass and they start throwing about three miles an hour harder on their fastball and their slider starts to do things that I never did before in college or in high school. And then the Yankees turn around and trade them for major league impact talent uh, right away. Um, I think he's pretty emblematic of just sort of, I don't know, the, the Brian Cashman style of, of jamming at this point, which is find undervalued talent in the draft, turn it into useful prospects, and then just trade them for major league talent and never think about them again. Sorry to Tayden Wesneski. I hope you have a fine career. But um, it's just the same as that kind of trade that Cashman pulled off with, say, Jameson Tyone last year or Rizzo and Gallo last year, where I mean, we can start getting to the, the Montas package where he just sort of packages, you know, three or four decent guys, all of whom seem to see a pretty massive player development gains as part of the Yankee system. And then he uses them to to just import impact talent that can uh, affect the, the major league team right away. Um, so I just, yeah, I think Wesneski and along with, to some extent, Waldachek and Sears as well, who, who left in the Montas trade. This is just, I think, just a total microcosm of how the Yankees sort of run under Cashman these days, which is take these guys, turn them into something, and then right when they need to be moved, they move them for guys like Scott F. Ross, Frankie Montas, Anthony Rizzo, and down the line. So uh, Wesneski uh, in Fangraph's ranking at the beginning of the year uh, was given a 40-plus future value rating. He was a 19th overall prospect. I believe MLB Pipeline had him at 7. So it depends on who you're talking to about um, you know, what the Yankees actually gave up. Um, the nice thing about Scott Efros, I believe he has just over one year of MLB service. So you have him for five seasons. Um, Peter, again, going back to, uh, basically Peter, these Twitter spaces are basically just ways for us to vocalize what we've been texting about for two and a half years. Um, going back to conversations that we've had about Zach Britton and Aroldis Chapman and how silly it is, 
to be spending money on relief pitching. The Yankees gave up a 40 future value guy for five seasons of a pretty attractive, pretty weird right-handed hitter that's not a right-handed pitcher that's not going to cost them much. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if anything, this year has put the final nail in the coffin to dispel any sort of delusion that we need to be spent or the Yankees need to be spending tens of millions of dollars on, you know, over 30 high leverage relievers. I mean, first we, we saw the way that they developed guys in-house. You talk about your Jonathan Lewisigas, you talk about Clay Holmes, you know, the list goes on. But there's this other aspect of you say that you say where, and as Jake pointed out, these low draft picks that nobody could even pronounce their last name, um, you develop them for a few years, they add sweep to their sliders and they add velocity to their fastball, and then you trade them for five, as you say, of a like major league effective high leverage reliever. And it's it it's just it's this it's this new proven model where now you're able to free up significant amount significant amounts of payroll space at the back end that could that means that you're like able to still stick to the whole like idea of resetting the tax rate every three years, but you are, but all of a sudden you have 30 more million dollars freed up to maybe, I don't know, like extended Aaron judge, for example. Yeah. If uh, only there was, if only there was some sort of MVP caliber player that might be right. eating an extra $30 million. Who knows? Who knows what could happen? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm actually, I'm reading through just like a final word on Efros. Like I'm reading through Esteban's article and by the way, everybody should go read this. So yeah, he has the most drastic, horizontal approach angle on his slider of any pitcher in baseball, which means that it is entering the strike zone the most sideways to put it to kind of dumb it down of any slider in baseball. And so he's literally a unicorn in that in that manner. And so you you're basically throwing a pitch out of an arm slot that people never see moving in a way that people have never seen. And you gave up a guy that no one knew two years ago. And you have him for um, five to this to this point, um, this is something the Yankees have been very good at doing. Well, actually, you know what? This is something the Yankees have been really well known to do, which is like find that unicorn. So to to this point, like no, like literally nobody in baseball throws a slider like Scott F. Ross. Um, literally nobody in baseball throws a sinker like Clay Holmes. Literally nobody in baseball is a three true outcome hitter the way that Joey Gallo is. And I don't mean to shoehorn Joey Gallo into every single conversation. I'm tired of Yankee fans doing this. But um, what are some of the pitfalls of of looking at that unicorn trait? Well, there are. I mean, there are a couple of things. But I'd like to first add that I think with Castillo, you are also looking at that kind of unicorn guy. Like he, I mean, Esteban talked about it. I talked about it. I'm sure a lot of us here have talked about it. That Luis Castillo was a guy that you could add to your starting rotation that also diversified that rotation like I mean the way Luis Castillo throws the ball is not you know it's not normal by any means and his changeup is not it, it moves differently than a lot but I think in terms of pitfalls you I mean it's it's I mean like you said you just keep you ragging on Joey Gallo but I mean you're bringing in a guy that could do a lot of good like hit home runs we saw him do that a ton in Texas but if he you know if he if he struggles he's going to really struggle and I think that's kind of like Aroldis Chapman, for example. No one in baseball throws a fastball like Aroldis Chapman. And when it's on, 
it's really good. But when it's off and when hitters are, you know, hitting the ball really hard, it goes a long way and, or it's uncontrollable. So I think at its best, you're getting a really good piece to add to that puzzle. And, you know, you're, you're going through a lineup and you're, I mean, if you're making guys look foolish, but if, if it's off on a day, like even just like one bad day, if it's off, then it, it can cause a lot of damage. So uh, just wait, before we continue, I would just push back a little bit on like kind of lumping unicorns such as like Efros and Holmes in with Gallo, because the thing with Gallo is that pitchers like made real tangible differences in the way that they were attacking him. And like the league, the league really did figure him out. So I'm, I think it's a little bit of a different case where like he has this unicorn skill and, and then like, that didn't go away necessarily. I think he literally has just been getting pitched differently and has not made the adjustment that's necessary to readjust to those adjustments that other, that pitchers have made against him. Fair point. As I said at the top, um, Billy Bean is kind of stupid and I don't really understand the obsession that some folks have with him. I think he consistently uh, does not understand the value of his own players and um, does a lot of weird stuff. And I think that, like, he's kind of he's kind of like Tampa, where, like, they'll do something weird, and they'll be like, oh, it's Tampa. They must know what they're doing. And then, like, he, then, like it doesn't work. And it's like, oh, it's Billy Bean. He must know what he's doing. But it, it really doesn't. Um, so Montos is not as good as Luis Castillo at present, um, but comes with the same amount of control. The package that was given up for Montas and Trevino, by the way, who's also under control for another year, is significantly lighter than the package that was given up for Castillo. Um, Peter, is this just... Actually, you know what, Jake? We'll give you the last word because I know you're headed out. Is this just Billy Bean being weird? It, it, it feels like it must be some combination of Billy Bean being some sort of, I don't know, trying to make a contrarian type of move that if it works out, he'll look really, really smart. And some combination of just, this is what Brian Cashman does. He makes trades that help the Yankees without giving up any real impact talent. Because um, I think you're right. Like, there is a, a tendency to see a move that done by Oakland or Tampa and just think, okay, what are we missing here? This must be smart. Like, these are smart teams. We they, They're associated with doing smart things. But I don't know. It's just, uh, on the surface, it just looks like the, the A's traded the second best starter on the market for a package that did not require a single one of the Yankees' top three or four prospects and I, I, I understand the, the, the instinct to think okay they, they must know what they're doing there must be something that we're missing but I, this is something I think they just gave up yeah number two starter for J.P. Sears Ken Waldachuk and Luis Medina and I just yeah I think they, at the end of the day the Yankees got their guy and they gave up three guys four guys that they're just not going to think about again for the rest of their lives Thank no, you, offense, no offense to those guys a little harsh but are you headed to the I'm, I'm actually really high on Waldachuk I think that he probably yeah Jumps into the into, onto the major league roster right away. Are you going to the game tonight? I'm not going to the game tonight. I have a, I have a prior commitment from uh, about six to seven thirty. Um, have fun. Thank you thank, for joining thank us, you. Jake. Thank you. Uh, go Yankees, and let's uh, yeah go. To the Much appreciation to all of our editors because when stuff like this happens and you have seven posts coming in in 25 minutes, they uh, they put in a lot of work. Um, it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time. So, as Jake said, like the Yankees went through this deadline and they were reasonably active they got Andrew Benintendi and they got Scott Efros and they got uh 
Montas, and they got Trevino without giving up uh, Anthony Volpe, Oswald Peraza, or Jason Dominguez. Uh, sort of the, the the big three at the top of that farm system. I don't think it's necessarily worth having the argument that they should have traded for Soto or they should have traded for Otani because it, it, it doesn't really look like those moves are getting done. It looks like San Diego is kind of annoyed with Washington at this point. And I think there's a lot of questions around baseball about how good C.J. Abrams is and whether he's the kind of guy that you would even put in a package for Soto in the first place. Um, I've always said that Soto is going to be dealt at the winter meetings, not at this deadline. Uh, the Angels nixed all Otani rumors this morning. Apparently, Art Moreno just is not willing to, uh, to, to, to deal him. Those are the only two guys. Well, they're not the only two guys in baseball, but they're two of like five guys in baseball that I would trade Anthony Volpe for. So I don't think that you can get on Cashman's case and say, oh, they didn't try hard enough for Soto, they didn't try hard enough for Otani, because it doesn't look like those deals are going to happen. The Yankees were able to keep their top three prospects, and now I think we beg the question of what do we do with them? And uh, Peter, once again, we're going to have a conversation that we've texted about. Um, we both hate Isaiah Kiner for life. <laughs> I think that's what we say. <laughs> right? We both very much dislike him. Um, Isaiah Kiner for life, for those listening. Isaiah Kainofalefa is exactly as good a hitter as Joey Gallo is, and Joey Gallo will not be on this roster by this time tomorrow. That's how desperate the Yankees are to get rid of Joey Gallo. IKF is exactly as good a hitter as he is. I don't care that he plays shortstop. I don't care that he steals bases. He's not a good hitter. Now, presumably, Oswald Peraza is a good hitter. Oswald Peraza has a 170 WRC plus since the start of June at AAA. He is still a Yankee. He was not dealt for anybody. Peter, what do the Yankees do with Oswald Peraza? I mean, I'd, obviously, I'd love to see them promote him, but I think then you also start questioning whether service time is coming into play with those sorts of considerations. Um, I think, I mean, I would love for our Glaber proposal to still be on the table. Not that I know that if, if it was even on the table in the first place this season. They, he's played one game there, I think. Um, and to your point, I mean, I, what makes me excited about Oswald Peraza, in addition to the 170 WRC plus since the start of June, is that he was the uh, most well-regarded shortstop prospect of all the shortstop prospects that they have in the system. So I think it would be fair to assume that he would uh, perform better defensively, at a bare minimum, perform better defensively than IKF, who is like tied for the sixth worst defensive shortstop right now by OAA, I think it is. Um, he sucks at shortstop. I'm sorry. He, his footwork is a mess. And I, we've, we've talked about it in articles and on spaces, so we don't really need to go into it too much. Um, so my heart says that I want them to promote Peraza, but I really, really think they're just going to stick it out with IKF as painful as that may seem. And if I could just get in one more word about the, the, the package that it took to land um, Montes and Trevino, my like in the first second saw the tweet of what was going back, my thought instantly turned to the Josh Donaldson trade that was headlined by like yep. Lowry, yep. right? It just yep. had Brett Lowry and Kendall Graveman. Yeah, yeah, it had such strong vibes of that. So, 
Um, you'll never guess what I want to talk about next. Uh, it is Josh Donaldson. So this is where um, people get to point and laugh at me because I was very, very high on Josh Donaldson at the start of the season. And Josh Donaldson kind of sucks. And um, I think that there is something very wrong at a fundamental level with Josh Donaldson. Uh, and I don't mean like his personality or like the general idea of who he is as a human being. But like, I think that his bat speed is gone. I don't think that the man can just swing the bat as hard as he did three years ago. And that's somewhat to be expected. He's 36 years old. Time comes for us all. Um, but he is really, he's batting fifth again today. And I don't like to roll my eyes at the lineup every single day because the Yankees are the best team in baseball. And we've rolled our eyes at pretty much every single lineup. Um, but Joe, uh, Josh Donaldson stinks. He uh, is continually hitting fifth in, in a pretty good lineup with a pretty hot top four uh, of, of DJ, Judge, Benintendi, and Rizzo. Um, Jeff, so he's got this year plus next year at 25 mil. Joey Gallo is essentially a non-factor on this team. I, again, I don't think that Joey Gallo is on this roster by the end of the day tomorrow, but he's a non-factor on this team. Josh Donaldson keeps getting chances. Yes, he's been great defensively, but so has DJ at third. Um, what's stopping the Yankees from moving Donaldson into the role that they have Gallo in, which is like you sit on the bench and maybe you play twice a week? I mean, I, I <clears throat> genuinely, it's it's hard to kind of understand it because, like you said, it, it it's not like there's uh, you know, there's there's nobody there that could fill that position like yes he is you know 98 96th percentile in oaa but like i still don't think that that's enough to uh you know keep him in the lineup i think maybe i just there's there's a possibility that he i i, I mean maybe it's that he's I, I mean genuinely i'm looking at his numbers right now and i i I don't see anything that would i mean if i were aaron boone i wouldn't keep him in the lineup but it's I, it's hard for me to figure out kind of what, you know, all of his numbers are down relative to his previously strong years. So it's, it is mind boggling to me that he is still playing consistently. I like, I don't know if it's because they want his, you know, spunk in the, in the lineup, whereas DJ is a little bit, you know, he's quiet, you know, he's a robot, but other than that, I, you know, it's not like he walks a ton. He's striking out a lot. You know, he's not hitting the ball super hard. It's, it's, it is mind-boggling to me. Yeah, like I said, I think it's, I think it's, excuse me, I think it's fundamentally a bad speed problem with with Donaldson. Um, I don't know how much of it has to do with the shoulder. Um, to me, so he, he, it was his right shoulder that was hurt. Your right hand, when your right-handed batter is sort of your power hand, it's what gives you your bat speed. Uh, and sort of your drive through the baseball. Um, if he wasn't such a great defender, I would say that something is is still bothering him with his shoulder. But it's like, you're throwing the ball from third base. If there was a problem with your shoulder, you'd think that that would bear out in the defense. I only ask this be because as we talk about Peraza and what he might be able to do for the 2022 New York Yankees, um, Isaiah Kainer-Falefa does have a gold glove, but he has it as a third baseman, not as a shortstop. And so I wonder, you know, you have DJ doing this couple games at second, couple games at third, couple games at first sort of rotation. 
would it not be worthwhile when we know that Joey Gallo is coming off the roster anyway, or probably is, Peter, would it not be valuable to sort of move IKF into a rotation at third base and bring up Peraza? Uh, I mean, I could kind of see the logic behind that. Um, but I think that it's still that's still a downgrade from Josh Donaldson bat Josh Donaldson bat at third. Like that's just how bad offensively Isaiah kind of is. And just because he won a gold glove. Oh, oh, wait, hang on, hang on. I gotta do some I gotta do some Googling. Keep talking, because I don't think that that's right. Uh and just I'm because, very I'm very low on Josh Donaldson right now. Continue. Go ahead. Well, okay, point. yeah. I, I yeah, I was just looking at the season numbers, but uh since the shoulder injury, it's prom it's probably he's probably IKF has probably been a better hitter. But um I am wary about like putting too much stock into a gold glove earned in a 60 game season. Okay. Uh, I actually feel pretty confident that IKF would be defensively a downgrade from Donaldson at third and even DJ at third. So I'm not sure that a Praza IKF left side of the infield really gives you any sort of benefit whatsoever. Um, and it, Donaldson is such a bizarre case because he was hitting the ball so well for that stretch up until the COVID bout that he had that coincided with the um, whole incident with the White Sox. Um, And so it's like, did he, did he all of a sudden remember that he was like 36 years old or whatever? And, and his bat speed like cratered mid season that also feels highly unlikely but as you as you hinted at it's like if it was the shoulder it would be showing up on the throws across the diamond as well it's i really can't find for the life of me i can't find like an easy answer for what is going on with donaldson the talk radio answer would be oh the yankees turned him into one of their you know uh you know straight-faced corporate guys and and they don't it doesn't let his personality play out, but that's, I mean, that's complete and utter BS, I think. I also think that we've um, seen that Josh Johnson's personality is maybe perhaps not the thing that we want to see from him. Right. Um, um, okay, so I do want to talk a little bit about sort of the trade deadline broadly, because I think the Yankees are pretty much done, except for whatever they decide to do with Joey Gallo. Um, but I know that Taylor ha- uh, wants to speak. So, Taylor, why don't you come off mute and, uh, and uh, give us sort of your thought or question. Hey, guys. I appreciate the time. Uh, really good insight here. Um, I... You know, as as much as I agree with a lot of the stuff here, I don't think the Yankees are done yet. I, I feel like there's one more trade in there. You know, of course, a, a Soto thing is definitely not going to happen. Um, but I, I feel like the replacement for IKF, you guys are preaching to the choir here because I'm one of those. Uh, I'm on your side. I can't I can't take IKF anymore. The errors are ridiculous. The hitting's uh inconsistent and of course Gallo will be gone within the snap of our fingers but you know I I saw a guy that has been rumored to get traded I know he hasn't been mentioned at all towards the Yankees side he doesn't play a lot of short but he plays the infield overall and I'm sure he can find himself you know around that Yankee infield what do you guys think about Brendan Drury Drury is a free agent at the end of the year. He's had a monster year offensively, 20 home runs, 59 RBIs, by 275, uh, OPS at 859. Uh, He's arguably could have been an all-star this year for the Cincinnati Reds, but Castillo was the representative for the Reds. What do you guys think about that? You know, 
And I, I'll ask that, and then my last question to, to the guys here. Uh, Carlos Rodon has been now on the trading block, and it's obvious that his last game as a as a giant was last night, and he was dealing last night. Uh, I feel like in a Yankee Twitter has been showing off that they want Rodon, and of course they do. But do you think the Yankees could go out and get Carlos Rodon? And now I said somebody tweeted at me asking me that question, and I said I think they could, but they would have to give up an, an extensive amount of more talent than they did for the Montos trade. Like maybe a Peraza would have to go to San Francisco for for Carlos Rodon. But what do you guys think about those two guys that could maybe fill the void for certain uh, for certain spots in this Yankee roster? Yeah, so I think that there's two questions. Um, first of all, I don't think the brain injury happens at all. Um, first of all, I would like I would like him to admit whether or not he has migraines this time, considering the last time he just didn't tell anybody that. Um, but I think that the the problem with the Yankees infield is that they need shoring up at shortstop. Uh, the third base situation between Donaldson and and DJ, even though Donaldson has not hit particularly well, I think that that's fine. And I think that the easy answer is just put DJ there. Because Glaber's been so good at second, um, both offensively and if you watch, like Glaber has become a pretty slick fielder at second. It's not his primary tool, and it never will be. But I don't think that he's embarrassed himself at second, and in fact, it's one of the big reasons no, why I think you should that, move back that, to that. move back to short. So I just I just don't know where Drury would play, given that he's not going to be playing shortstop. I don't really I want him third. taking at-bats away from DJ at third. I could see them taking at-bats away from Donaldson. I'd be okay with that. But I just right. don't know if it's really worth pursuing. Um, Peter, Jeff, am I wrong? No, I agree with you. And uh, a reunion I, I just feels like a really anti-Brian Cashman move. Yeah, I was just looking at it from the standpoint to a guy to really replace uh, Donaldson. Because Donaldson really doesn't, doesn't have it offensively. He has had moments course this year but you know and at the same time I kind of want a a I, I love a DJ LeMayhew and a Andrew Benetton type hitter guys that can, are going to get base hits when you need them most and Benetton is I think is 111 hits this year and 14 are doubles so the guy is a strictly singles hitter the three home runs but some of the times you don't need the home run all the time and a, a single up the middle to drive home two can get it done just as well. So uh, I, I think the Yankees would. I'd love the Yankees no, I mean, get something Drury like that. Twenty you know? home runs in a two forty, a two fifty right. ISO. Well, I'm just saying like, when it comes to when it comes to maybe replacing Donaldson, I think there needs to be some offense to replace that because Donaldson is an automatic out as of late. The last thirty games or so, he hasn't played well, and when you as... I try. When you when you have Matt Carpenter playing first and DHing, and then you have Lemayhu either playing first or playing third, there needs to be an idea. Like, is Donaldson going to be taking spots away from somebody else, or are we just going to throw him on the bench and be an option off the bench? As for Rodon, um, I mean, yeah, if if the Giants are serious about making a deal, uh, yeah, the Yankees should be all over it. I, I don't know how it fits in the rotation now that Montas is here. Um, but I'm always of the philosophy of just put together the best possible 26 guys that you can worry about everything else later. Uh, Carlos Rodon is a stud. And um, I think it's one of the biggest missed opportunities in, in baseball this year uh, that the interest in Rodon 
did, did not reflect his upside, I think, in the offseason. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think that the Yankees have that move in them. I think that the fact that they worked so hard both last offseason and now this deadline to keep those big three, to keep Volpe, Peraza, and Dominguez in-house, I think would, to me, signal that they're not that interested in Rodon because I think that he would cost Peraza. Um, you know, you're talking about a guy that is basically performing at the level that Max Scherzer was last year when he got dealt at the deadline. And that was kind of a weird package because the Nationals are stupid um, and the Giants are smarter than they are. But I, I don't know, Jeff, uh, am I off base here? Do you see it now with, with the way that the Yankees have approached this deadline already, the focus on keeping those big three and the way that the rotation is set now? Do you see a space for Rodon? No, I, I don't. I mean, would I love to have him on the Yankees? Absolutely. He's he's really good. Like, he's really good at what he does. But, you know, at the same time, you you just went out and acquired a guy that I'm sure that they view as a number two or number three. Um, and with, a, with the Severino coming back eventually, like, that's also the, a guy that you have to think about. Like, what I think – do I think a, a Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon – Frankie Montas, Luis Severino, top four is insane. Yes, of course I do. But at the same time, you know, you want, I, I don't think that you want other guys getting innings. Like, I don't think Jamison Tyone is a bullpen arm. I don't, th- you know, like there's, there's a whole lot of other things at play here. Um, so while as while I would love to see Rodon in a Yankees jersey, I just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's feasible, especially like you said, you know, you have, they, Brian Cashman has done everything, including it not trading for Luis Castillo to keep Anthony Volpe, Oswald Peraza, Jason Dominguez in the system because I, he wouldn't. I don't think he, he he he's not a guy that would keep them there if he didn't see them making an impact at the MLB level. I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be great, but I don't think at this point it's you know it's worth overspending. All right, we've got Robert. Uh, and uh, Matt. If I could just, ahead, Peter. yeah, Peter, if I could just respond to some of that. So I think both of you hit the nail on the, on the head that um, if Cashman has tried this hard to keep hold of the big three, and we were told during the off season that one of the number one priorities was to retain all three of those players, that uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that none of them are going to get dealt. Um, I will push back though on the line of thinking that says that you don't add a Rodon because you're worried about other guys getting innings, like. Uh, I'm not so. I'm just really not so sure about that. I think if if the if it if the option is Carlos Rodon pitching a game or Jamison Tyone pitching a game or you know Montgomery or Cortez or you know insert other pitcher who's currently in the rotation, you you are putting yourself at a disadvantage for not pitching Rodon out of some sort of like loyalty to getting guys innings. Um, one interesting note about Rodon is that he hit the innings limit that allows him to opt out after the season. Mm. So he is a rental. Um, and I wonder what that does to his trade cost. Um, I'm not, I, without getting overly optimistic here. Um, I think even with as good of a season as he's having right now, I think that that ability to opt out after the season could potentially spare a team, one of their top prospects or a Castillo-like package 
when trading. Oh, I don't. I don't think it would be a package. I think it would be like Peraza and a lottery ticket. Straight, okay, you know, pr- pretty much straight up. I don't think that it would be a significant package yeah. at all. And like, I'm not gonna be delusional and say that like the Yankees are just gonna be able to pull off another heist and throw in a bunch of like guys like they have been doing to get him because I think that there are gonna be a lot of lot more competitive offers on the table since he's the only good p- starting pitcher left. Um, but I do think that's something. That's an interesting thing to consider. The opt out. Um, Robert, go ahead. Hey guys, so with the additions of Efros and Trevino, how do you guys kind of see the bullpen being stacked up now? Do you think uh, we see Chapman potentially going to higher leverage situations? Uh, do you think it's going to be Trevino going to ace, even though he's been kind of a he's kind of been that eighth, ninth inning guy when Trinan was in Oakland? What do you guys kind of think? Um, so why don't I go first, and then if I'm wrong, Jeff and Peter, you two correct me, because I, I have a feeling that we're pretty sympathetical in this. Um, the, the question that I have with the bullpen is how much Aaron Boone actually wants to use Clay Holmes in the biggest moments, because to me, that job now falls to Efros. Uh, I just think that one out, bases loaded, one run game, uh, insert great right-handed hitter here. Vlad Guerrero's coming up to the plate, whatever. Uh, boy, it would be really nice to have a guy like bringing in the look that Zach Efros brings along with the stuff um, to get that, that really pivotal out in the highest leverage spot of the game. We've talked a lot about how teams should go away. I sound like a broken record at this point because I've said so many times. We've talked so much about how teams should go away from set bullpen roles and and just pitch their best players in the best spots. And teams are relatively reluctant to do that because pitchers have routines and have habits. Like it's really famous Mo wouldn't even go down to the bullpen until the fifth inning because he just didn't feel right. And this is the greatest relief pitcher of all time. It just felt weird for him to be in the bullpen before that. That was his routine because he knew when he was going to pitch and he'd get himself set up. And I think that that's one of the reasons why teams still like to have eighth and ninth inning guys. I would tend to say Clay Holmes is probably still your closer. What I'm most curious about is whether Trevino goes to the eighth inning where he has pitched before, um, or that becomes Chapman's inning because Chapman has looked a lot better since coming off the IL. Efros to me is the bases loaded. Vlad Guerrero's at the plate. We need to get this guy out, and we need a strikeout. Uh, go to go to Efros. Um, am I wrong on either on either of your two counts? You also have Loisega and Britton potentially coming back as well. Just wanted to throw that in there. Yep. No, I, I don't think you're wrong. I just it's I am <laughs> I am not a Chapman fan at all. So if I can if 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 Aaron Boone keeps him in lower leverage situations, I don't think I'll be complaining. Uh, you know, a lot of it like yes, he has certainly looked like there's no denying that he's looked better. Um but I think I think I'd stray away from, you know, bringing him back to the eighth inning because, you know, if, if he's looked more comfortable uh, in the earlier innings, I would try and keep him there. Unlike, I mean, like you said, Efros is going to be, I think he's going to be your, your Michael King at this point. Like he's the guy, he's the guy you want at the end of the game to get out the big hitter. Like you, when we, watch a game and you have a guy that's coming up and there's, you know, there's guys on base, you know, Michael King's coming into the game. You're like, okay, I think, you know, you're pretty confident that he can get those guys out. Um, so I think, I think with those additions, Trevi- I could see Trevino also being a later inning guy, but 
you know, in terms of high leverage, I think Efros is is the guy is still that guy that you want at the back end of a game. Peter, any dissent? Um. Okay, so I'm gonna play the devil's advocate here. I'm actually devil doesn't need an advocate. He's the devil. <laughs> I'm really high on on Trevino. I think there is so much to unlock in his arsenal. His pitches have absolutely ridiculous horizontal movement. If you look at his Statcast page, it is all bright red in the horizontal movement category. His sweeper slider gels so well with the Yankees pitching philosophy. His changeup moves an absurd amount. And then throw on top of all of that, he his sinker when he in he was the setup guy uh, in front of Trinan, his sinker was Trinan-esque. So I think his seam-shifted weight profile and what we've seen Matt Blake be able to do with pitchers like that, I think this, I really do think the sky's the limit. I think that that ERA is such a red herring when it comes to Trevino. I, I think he, if they can get him playing at peak performance, which I do think he's still got a lot left in the tank, I think he slots in as your eighth inning guy. Um, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, so I was just curious because I feel like t- as we get towards the playoffs, the starting rotation tends to shorten. So do you guys see potentially like a Herman going to the pen in the playoffs? or Because I feel like especially during the playoffs, there aren't not many guys who like be really relied upon where you just like know you're going to get a good start out of them in a playoff game, kind of like what I feel like Tanaka used to be, where, like, he would have a good start. Um, yeah, I'm just curious if you guys see some changes with Herman or maybe even, I don't know, Nestor sometimes has been a little bit shaky. He seems like he's doing a little bit better now. But I feel like I would just curious to hear if you guys see some changes in the rotations with the acquisitions and stuff like um, that. I am extremely nauseous at the idea of Domingo Herman being on the playoff roster at all. Um, I don't want him there. I don't think he's very good. I think that his fastball sucks. Um, he's got a really nice curveball, so good job. Um, but I'm not comfortable with him being on the playoff roster. <laughs> um, and, you know, to Robert's earlier point about Zach Britton potentially coming back, something's got to give there. So, again, you know, um, I think that the likely. Herman has an option. Uh, this is his last option year anyway. Use it up. Um, send him down. Uh, you have Montas in the rotation now anyway. Um, maybe you bring Herman up here and there down the stretch just to sort of manage the innings of guys like Cortez. <laughs> Excuse me. And Tyone. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that he's on a playoff roster. And then I'm a big fan. I've always been a big fan of putting Sevi into the bullpen for the playoffs. I think that there's so many questions about his ability uh, to stay healthy, to give length down the stretch of the season. And I mean, like this year, he looked really, really good. And then he got hurt again. And so if I were, if I were in Brian Cashman's chair, I would go probably Cole Montas. We got to figure out how to say his name. I'm sure that it's on baseball reference. I apologize. It's Montas. Montas. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Frankie Montas. Okay. okay. Um, Cole, Frankie, Nestor, Monty, I think is probably your playoff rotation. And then you move. Herman is doing winter ball stuff, uh, maybe learning how to throw a fastball. Um, Tyone and Sebi go to the bullpen. 
in sort of I, I would like to use Sevi as a real weapon in the postseason and then Tyone is your you know your starting pitcher forgot what time the ALDS starts and got blown up in the first inning and you need two emergency innings um Jeff Peter am I am I off again like am I am I crazy off base off base with that no I, I mean I, I'm with you on that I I, I don't like Domingo Herman at all like it, I mean it's you know it I think he is worst worst case scenario in the bullpen like I think the the whole thing with Montas is is you're requiring him not only to to relieve kind of those other guys in the rotation of that number two kind of responsibility but I also think you're doing it so that you don't have to to have to have a Domingo Herman at the back of your starting rotation um that way you have a lot more options with what to do with him whether it's not be in the roster at all, which would be my preferred, uh, you know, route or, uh, you know, putting him in the bullpen for an in like, or preparing him for an inning or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, there's certainly that, that whole trade is, is geared towards kind of solidifying that rotation to where a guy like Domingo Herman doesn't have to be that high leverage playoff pitcher. Um, yeah, yeah. I could um, I could happily go the rest of my life without seeing Domingo Herman pitch another inning for the Yankees. Um, I think something's gone horribly, horribly wrong if he's if he's pitching out of the bullpen. I think it, you bring up an interesting point, Josh, about Severino. I think he's the great unknown. I think obviously the ideal situation is that he comes back firing on all cylinders, and you have a a true discussion about who is your game two starter between him and Montas maybe with with Cortez sneaking his way into that discussion, then, like, that's a pretty formidable four-man punch to be going into the postseason with. Um, but I do see the logic in being as cautious as possible, getting him uh, back, to, back to Luis Severino in the bullpen, and then that gives you the flexibility of how you want to deploy him. Um, so we have Taylor and Michael queued up to speak. Uh, I'm going to let Andrew speak first just because he is my boss. And uh, I feel like that's sort of the, the privilege that comes with being the boss. So, Andrew, what's up? Please don't be firing. Uh, no, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think the uh, move that just happened, they put um, Luis Severino on the 60. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Oh. Okay. Well, that, so, oh, so disregard. Forty percent of our conversation. Yeah, well, it sounds okay. like he may end up coming back in mid-September, but like it's like a sort of a weird juxtaposition of what happened the other day. Apparently, like he gave like a thumbs up to reporters, but now he's on the sixties. So I don't know. I feel like okay. this definitely reads into like okay, well, this is definitely why. I mean, the Yankees needed to add another starter anyway, but especially if they weren't going to have Severino until mid-September, I think it definitely makes it much more likely that he's a bullpen guy in the playoffs but i guess we will yeah, find out I, I don't see how he gets built up i yeah i can't see him being a rotation piece so yeah that would be wow um you know it's funny i, I don't want to talk about severino like he died or something because he didn't but um it's so funny because like in 2017 severino was my favorite i mean obviously we all got caught up in what judge was doing uh with the, with the home run record and everything but severino was my favorite of the baby bombers because it's just so hard to develop ace level 
flame throwing controllable starting pitching like that's what everybody wants and man it's just like ugh um that sucks so yeah um to answer the original question Luis Severino is not going to be in the starting rotation in the playoffs um hopefully he can find a role as an effective effective um bullpen piece i guess this means that probably well i guess they have technically a six man rotation now with herman in it so herman probably goes to the bullpen as some sort of long man and then jumps in and out to make spot starts to control innings i think would probably be the move um well that's really depressing um taylor uh go ahead i hope that you don't have anything depressing to tell us no i don't have anything uh depressing to say because that was I was just going to say the same thing that Andrew did, so. Yeah, it sucks. It, it does, so. I was just curious how you guys think that'll affect, uh, you know, I guess how they go with the rest of the season, knowing that they won't have Seve. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's just, you, you try to get him back as soon as possible, and then he becomes a bullpen weapon in the postseason if he can manage that. Um, a really interesting question would be if he can't, if there's another setback. Um the Yankees probably have the pitching depth, especially in the bullpen, to survive. Um, if they can get, if they can keep Luis Sever, or not Luis Severino, uh, Loisaga on track, and they can keep Chapman looking good, they probably have the bullpen depth to survive it. But it's just like, yeah, this is why they went and got two relievers and a starter because uh, that depth can go away really, really quickly. Um, Michael, what's up? How are you guys doing? Uh, I mean, I was doing a lot better about forty-five seconds ago. Yeah, I, I, I actually was calling about that as well. But, I, you know, I, let's all remember that if Seve can come back, he was very effective last year as a as a bullpen piece um, because he was able to air it out. And he, he was, you know, for an inning or two, he actually looked pretty, pretty impressive and was able to be almost like a shutdown reliever for a brief period. Um, in any case, what I wanted to... Uh, talk to you about it you know there's so much um criticism about ikf um some of it i i get that it's justified with regards to his inconsistency in his fielding but he's also made some pretty damn good plays at, at short at times number one and number two he wasn't brought here to be a home run guy he was there he was brought in to, to be a contact guy. And that's exactly what he's given the Yankees. I mean, he literally did have, uh, what was it, a 14-game hitting streak. He also what, has shown spurts of being a clutch hitter with uh, runners in scoring position. I don't think he's as bu- much of a bust as everybody makes him out to be. That's just, again, my opinion. And quite frankly, I don't think he's going anywhere I think he's a truly a placeholder until one of the uh, one of the prospects comes up, whoever that may be, Volpe or whomever. He is a placeholder, and I don't think I don't see the Yankees moving away from that. And then finally, I wanted to get your uh, take on what is going to happen with Miggy Andujar because I I feel terrible for this guy only because. He's one of the nat- a really truly natural uh, hitter. He he can hit major league pitching. He has shown it. Uh, <laughs> to me, as bad as his fielding is, he'd still be an upgrade over uh, uh, over Donaldson as of today. Even though the Yankees would never ever put him back at third, but 
he's just sitting there wasting space, and I don't know how the Yankees unload him unless they literally give him away. Wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, I think you make a good case for both players. I think the we maybe just have philosophical differences about what value is, and that's cool. I enjoy having those conversations with people, um, especially – no disrespect, just going off your, your profile picture, I, I think you're a little bit older than me, and, and maybe that's the cause of – one of the causes of this. I think – you. The by the way, I'm going to interrupt. You are correct on that. So, you, <laughs> and, and that is – and you're right. The perspective that I bring on this is different than what you are, and I, I, and, and I respect yours as well, by the way. That's why I'm, that, I'm enjoying this conversation because it, it's important to bring to the table perspectives from everybody. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and speak for Peter because I know Peter well enough and I'm, I think I'm more diplomatic than Peter is. Um, I think that there are two ways to look at both IKF and Andohar. There is a, a process way and a results way. And I think that when I watch IKF hit, I watch a guy who has really poor hitting mechanics. Like fundamentally, um, I, again, I would refer you to Esteban's work on this because he's done so much on it. Um, but just like, really doesn't understand what his body is doing as the baseball approaches the plate. Um, I think that IKF is like that, that kid that had like, if you look at old high school tape of Anthony Volpe, for example, their swings look very similar. IKF is a guy who was able to hit like 420 in high school and was able to maintain, obviously not 420, but maintain that level of contact into the majors and never had someone pull him aside and say, hey, like, yeah, contact is great, but eventually we need you to drive the ball. Like, you, you, so, so another speaker brought it up, like, you don't always need a home run, but, like, eventually you need to hit a home run. And that's led to really terrible hitting mechanics. And so what happens when IKF goes up to the plate um, is, is the result is almost always the same. He hits a ground ball pretty much up the middle of the field, uh, and it's a two hopper and it is either gloved by the second baseman or shortstop, or it gets past the second baseman and shortstop. And that is a process question. Uh, the difference between someone like IKF and, and DJ LeMayhew, like DJ LeMayhew is also a really high contact guy. The difference is DJ LeMayhew has been able to change his swing. And again, you can look at the difference between his swing in, in Colorado versus his swing in New York, where he's focused on getting the ball off the ground and hitting it hard. DJ LeMahieu is not a home run hitter. He is a contact first hitter. Um, same thing as uh, not so much Anthony Rizzo anymore, but what Anthony Rizzo was in Chicago when he was one of the better hitters in baseball. Miguel Cabrera has done this as well. Like focusing on, on driving balls in the air, not necessarily looking for home runs the way that Joey Gallo does, but getting the ball off the ground and into the air, it's just a more reliable process for doing damage at the plate. You don't have to hit a home run, but those kind of balls, they're going to get over the infield. DJ LeMahieu is a great hitter with runners in scoring position too uh, because of that approach. So I think that the reason why I don't like IKF is because of the approach. I think he takes a faulty approach to hitting. And I admit I'm a little bit surprised because the Yankees have been such leaders on things like this in the past. Um, I've been really surprised that no one has tried. Maybe they haven't, hasn't worked. Like, this has been a thing with Joey Gallo. The Yankees have actually tried, like, three or four different things with Joey Gallo, and none of them have taken. He's just not been able to make those adjustments. Maybe that's been the same thing with IKF, that they tried to make adjustments and it hasn't worked. But I just think that IKF has a poor set of mechanics that leads to poor batted ball outcomes. 
And he's always going to be reliant on, like, did the second baseman get to the ball? Like, the reason why he gets an, an RBI is because the second baseman didn't get to the ball, rather than the reason that um, if you look at uh, Sunday's game or Saturday's game against the Royals, when DJ LeMahieu drove in IKF from third base, the reason that DJ got that RBI is because he hit a line drive at 98 miles per hour that landed. It was a single. It wasn't an extra base hit. But those kind of batted balls are just going to become hits more often than the kind of thing that IKF does. Um, I agree with you that he's a placeholder. And by this time next year, if he's on the roster, he's going to be rotating through the infield because hopefully Anthony Volpe is uh, just about to be called up. Um, but I think that that's, I think that you, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I think that you're looking at results and you're saying he got a hit with risk and I'm looking at like, what kind of hit was it? And is it repeatable? Am I, am I, am I right on that? Yep. You're right. I'm, I'm looking at results and saying, Hey, he's, he's had a couple clutch hits. He's brought some runs in, uh, with men on base. He's, you know, he's not driving the ball with authority and it could be mechanical. And I don't look at it that way. I look more at the results. Um, but and he also, by the way, he brings speed to the lineup too. So when he is on yes. base, and I do think that this is, I do think that is something that he has brought. That is a real guy. Again, we can go yep. back to that Sunday game where yep. twice he puts pressure on the defense. I think that that's a real skill. And yep. it's the Yankees, that I wish. Yeah, the yeah. Yankees have a different look this year, which we all are enjoying, and that they're willing to to move around the bases. If you recall, the last couple of years, a single brought the next runner to second base. And then, it, you know, there was no nobody in scoring position the way we would get, you know, runners in with less than two outs. The Yankees just couldn't move runners from one one base to the other the last few years because they were too slow. Now it's a combination of getting people to be more aggressive on the base, base paths, number one, and having some players that have a little bit more speed, which makes the Yankees more effective offensively than having to rely on the long ball. I'm enjoying that more. And again, like I said, mechanically, you've got a great point. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm looking at the results and then uh, and, and seeing that, that it's just more fun to watch, quite frankly. And, and that's fair. And, and that's maybe just, again, like I said, a, a philosophical difference. Uh, I'm sorry to ignore your question on Miguel Andohar. Really quickly, I think that he should be traded. I think that he doesn't have a role with the Yankees. I'm skeptical that he ever hits like he hit in 2018 again. Um, but I think that like Clint Frazier, Clint Frazier worked out pretty terribly for the Cubs. But um, send him to some team in the NL that kind of stinks, get a lottery ticket back, and see if Induhart. He doesn't have a role in this team, and that's too bad. Um, but I think it's just the reality that he's just been passed by other guys. Like, he's been passed. Again, like, I've said it before, the Yankees were willing to go out and get Andrew Benintendi rather than give Miguel Andohar a chance. They gave up, you know, uh, the pitchers they gave up weren't great, but they were able to, they wanted to give up prospect capital rather than give. Miguel into her chance. So to me, that says the Yankees are not high on his ability. Um, thanks so much, Michael. Thank uh, you. I've got to get to someone else because we have a couple people queued up to speak. Um, Nick, go ahead. Uh, do you guys think that Brian Cashman is going to make another move that's going to surprise us all? So this is kind of this is going to be my closing question to to Jeff and Peter. Um, so maybe we can just wrap it into a closing question because the game is about to start in twenty minutes anyway. Um, Jeff, Peter, I want you to both. Is there another move coming? I think we can all agree that something regarding Joey Gallo probably has to happen. Um, but is there sort of another like real move that would justify a, a Twitter spaces kind of thing coming? Uh, Volpe Praza, Dominguez Pereira for Soto. 
No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it's going to be someone who's going to take Gallo off their hands, and I really think that's – other than that, I'm not sure I see another big move coming. Yeah, I, I agree. I'd say it's going to be a Gallo move, but I also think – you know, I mentioned it earlier. I don't think uh, – I, I, don't, I don't like the – the idea of overspending on at a trade deadline. I think you, I think what Brian Cashman did today and with Andrew Benintendi was exactly what he needed to do. And he kept the guys that he wanted to keep in Volpe, Peraz and Dominguez. And I think that's all he needs to do. I think he can feel pretty confident with what he did. So um, I'll be honest. Um, I'm still not in love with, um, I'm still annoyed that it's Monta- Montas over Castillo, although I understand why. Certainly looking at the package that both guys went for, I, I can see why. Um, if you were to grade this deadline, um, knowing that we still have, what, 18 more hours or whatever, and Joey Gallo is presumably going somewhere, um, if you were to grade the deadline, give me both your grades. You want to go first, Peter, or you want me to go? It doesn't matter. No, I'll let you go first. I gotta think about it. Yeah, um, I can go first because I. I mean, yeah, you you go first. Uh, yeah, um, I I would go a B plus. I think that I think that the Montas acquisition is the one that I think we all kind of knew they were gonna make. Like I think we all knew in the back of our heads they were they were never gonna get Otani. They were never gonna pony up as much as I think that they should have to get Castillo. So. Montas is a really, really nice consolation prize. Maybe we could talk. They should have pursued Rodon more, but uh, you gotta, you gotta make a move. You can't be left, you know, holding your pants at the end of the day or whatever that expression is. Um, to me, the the move that, and then I'm not, I'm not in love with Benintendi, but I get it. Um, the move that to me really pushes this into that B plus area, and depending on what he does with the Yankees, a minus is I really do think that Scott Efros is something special. Um, similar to what Peter was saying about Trevino and, and thinking that the sky's the limit for him, I am so excited to see what he can do against really powerful right-handed hitters uh, in the order. Now, the Red Sox did just trade Christian Vasquez, which maybe means they want to trade Xander Bogarts. Uh, and J.D. Martinez is still on the Red Sox. We'll see if he goes. But if you think about like the AL East or you think about the Astros with Altuve and Bregman. Um, I mean, obviously they have Jordan, who's who's pretty good, but um, just such a unique weapon that no one else in baseball has. Um, so you know that cliche that Kevin Cash rolled out, but I have a whole stable of guys throwing ninety eight. Like the Yankees have that too, but they have a guy that throws literally unlike any other pitcher in baseball. And I think that this is exactly the kind of team we've seen their ability to develop, especially relief pitching. Um, so I'm so excited for what Scott Efros uh, can do. I don't know if he's in New York tonight. I, I, don't, I would bet he's probably not, and he'll probably make his debut tomorrow. But I hope that Aaron Boone gets him in a game right away because I want to see what he can do um, at Yankee Stadium. So for me, I'm going to go B+. I don't think that any of the moves – were really surprising. I think that we probably, if you look at our trade coverage, we kind of guessed on who the most likely outcomes were going to be. So good job to our staff. Um, but I do think that Efros, uh, it's hard to say that anybody is going to have the impact that Clay Holmes has had because he's been so good. But I think that of all the players, the potential to be like, oh my God, this guy is the best piece of this entire deadline. 
uh, is is Efrost for me. Yeah, I would I would certainly echo that. I think as far as my grade goes, I'd probably I'd probably say my gut reaction is A minus. Um, you know, I think like you said, everybody expected these these moves. I mean, with King out and the parts of the bullpen struggling, you needed relievers and you needed a number two. Um, just to kind of shore up everything. Um, and while it's not a Juan Soto, who I would really love to see in pinstripes, I think everybody would. Um, you know, I think I think Brian Cashman did what he needed to do and, uh, you know, traded away the pieces that he wanted to trade away to kind of shore up the lineup. And I think, uh, you know, I think I would agree with you, Josh, as well. I think Scott Efros is probably my favorite piece of the day. You know, I like most people, I'm sure I didn't know really much about him, you know, when the trade was announced, but after watching, you know, highlights and looking at his numbers, I mean, he's just, he's going to be a whole lot of fun, I think. Um, and I, I think that kind of stuff, it goes on, it, it, it can go on the wayside um, to a lot of people. Cause you know, Monta Montas is the big, is the bigger name, but you know, it's it's those it's the Trevino it's the Efros that those kind of lift up the overall grade that I would give Brian Cashman at the deadline. So I was initially I was initially going to go B minus because I was still a little bit sore that they didn't trade for Castillo, but I think you guys have actually convinced me to curve it up to a B plus because I do have to give Cashman credit, as you were mentioning, Jeff, that he held on to the players that he was determined to hold on to and yet still made real impactful additions to the roster that address serious and very real areas of need. Um, I'm very high on Montas. I think that there's a lot more that they can unlock out of him. Um, but with this, I think what's preventing it from being an A- minus for me is that with this Luis Severino news, I think they could certainly stand to add another arm, whether that be a bullpen arm or a starter. I think it's looking much more likely that that would be a bullpen arm at this point. Um, and like you said, Josh, I don't think that there was any realistic chance that uh, Shohei was getting traded. And I don't think that the Yankees were ever serious contenders in the Soto sweepstakes. Um, I know that it was reported that the Nationals weren't nearly as high on Volpe as the Yankees and a lot of other teams were. Um, that being said, if there was even a non-zero chance that you could have landed Juan Soto, I do not care what package you would have taken to get him. <laughs> you freaking do that. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think B-plus is where I'm going to land. I still say on the Soto front, like, let's just, let's put a pin in this until December, because I think that every team is just going to have a really hard time putting together a package yeah, for the playoff run of one set. Okay, I want to do two quick things because I have two quick points. So Christian Vasquez was uh, traded from the Red Sox to the Astros um, in a very similar situation to um, what Benintendi did. The Red Sox are in Houston tonight, so Vasquez literally just walked into the other clubhouse, similar to what Benintendi, I'm sure, did. Um, do, you, do we think, and this can just be a quick, like, give me 10 words, the Red Sox are about to be stripped for parts. Uh, this so is bad, this is a bad baseball team with a lot of rentals and a lot of old players. 
Um, is there going to be anybody other than Raphael Devers left on this team by end of day tomorrow? I mean, it was it was reported that Xander was told by the front office that they wouldn't trade him, but take that for whatever you will take it for. Um, I think even these last couple of days might have changed their stance on that. So I think Devers, mm, I don't know. I'll let Jeff actually definitively answer that question. Ray's FO guys never change their spots or whatever it is that Ray's have. It's stripes, spots, whatever. Flippers. Yeah, I'd Ray's say... Ray's FO guys never change their flippers. <laughs> there we go. I'd say I think they should, but I'm not sure they will. That would be my short answer to that. And the second thing that I just want to get past, um, so Austin Riley, who is uh, just another one of these young, incredible players that baseball is turning out seemingly on the daily, uh, was given a 10-year, $212 million extension by the Atlanta Braves. Um, the Braves have sort of, they haven't quite cornered the market on extensions, but obviously they got the, I think, criminal extension on Ozzy Albies, the eight $100 million extension on Ronald Acuna that also is kind of highway robbery. This one probably a little bit more in line with what uh, players should be expecting from their teams. Um, but, you know... And Matt Olson. That's right. Um, um, this was the least that we've talked about Aaron Judge on a Twitter space this year because he is the dominant story around this team. Um, and his free agency, obviously, is going to be the biggest story in baseball. Um, and how and how the, the Juan Soto trade versus the Aaron Judge free agency are covered considering they might be happening at the same time, will be super interesting. Um, this is the move that the Yankees should have made in 2018 and or 2019. Um, and it's frustrating because, you know, everybody has an opinion what the Yankees should do with Aaron Judge and how much money they should give him and how long they should keep him. And I'm sympathetic to this idea that you don't really want to be giving a 38-year-old, you know, $35 million when you've already got Cole and you've already got Stanton. I get it. Um, at the same time, it's Aaron frickin' Judge, and he's going to hit 62 home runs this year. Like, But all these conversations are irrelevant because the central mistake in this story is the Yankees prioritizing two-year financial flexibility, which is what they do, and not extending Aaron Judge when they had the chance. You get rid of all of this stress and all of these questions, and by the way, you save a bunch of money, too, if when your great player is great and young, you just give him 10 years. Austin Riley just got $200 million. And we can argue about what young players are worth. No one is complaining about getting $200 million. You are set generationally for life. Wander Franco, same thing. The Yankees failed to do that with Aaron Judge three years ago, four years ago. And now they might end up paying the price. And it's just very annoying. And I don't know why... A pretty well, I do know why a pretty forward-thinking front office can't figure that part out. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to say that, um, Jeff, Peter, any sort of final thoughts either on the deadline or on uh, the the Riley extension that we can get out of here. Well, just to to wrap up your point about Aaron Judge, I mean, I think you said it. It's it's maintaining that that payroll flexibility to reset the tax rate because they're leveraging his arbitration eligible years, where he's still on a you know relatively affordable contract for that year and i the cynical side of me says that they were almost banking on him having multiple injured years and not having a year like this especially not in his walk year so that they could save even more money when he becomes a free agent because we know extensions aren't their thing um i think they were 
hedging that he would be even cheaper to sign hitting free agency as a 30 slash 31 year old than whatever savings you would have had signing him for say 10 years, four years ago. And it didn't, and it didn't work out that way. Yeah. I mean, I, (laughs) it's what you mentioned about signing, uh, a a 30 year old Aaron judge is, I think this is only kind of more reason to look at Juan Soto as a potential option. I think that's, I think that's kind of the best thing I could add to it that hasn't already been said. I mean, Juan Soto's young, he's really freaking good at baseball and you'll pay him a lot of money, but you know, he won't be 30 years old. Like you're, you're investing, investing the money that you would be investing in Aaron judge in a, in a younger guy. Um, that's, you know, insane. So yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's all I've really got to say. Um, yeah, so that's it. Um, uh, the Reds have dealt to either the Mets or the Red Sox. What? What a weird trade. I don't, the, <laughs> the Reds are stupid. There's so many stupid teams in baseball. It makes me annoyed. Um, anyway, okay. So it's going to be a whirlwind, like, 24 hours. I don't know what I want to do on Wednesday. The Yankees have day games, so I, we might do sort of a total recap. Although, if nothing is really new with the Yankees, we might not do one. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Um, the real news, real baseball starts about 10 minutes. The Yankees take on uh, the Seattle Mariners. Uh, Seattle is an extraordinarily fun team. They're slightly less fun now that Julio is not here for this series. Although... The Yankees' chances of winning certainly got a lot better when Julio went on the IL yesterday. Um, Jeff, Peter, thanks so much for joining. Thanks to everybody in the space that uh, chipped in with comments and questions. Um, we'll see what the next 24 hours bring. Uh, we'll see where Juan Soto is on Wednesday, and hopefully we'll see uh, Oswald Peraza uh, in pinstripes on Wednesday as well. Go get Rodon, you cowards. Go get Soto, you cowards. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, that too. All right, go Yankees. It was nice talking to you guys. Cheers, folks.